Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I am one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. Hello, everyone. Reed, aka Sick Robot. Howdy, howdy. And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? And in this episode, uh, we're going to be covering mid-range in CDH. Um, but before we get into that, uh, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? So I've had nothing else to do but just jam a ton of teamfight tactics. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. I have had other things to do. <laughs> I've chosen to jam a lot of teamfight tactics. And you know what? I've made Diamond 2, so I'm happy. Even though I don't know how good Diamond 2 is and what teamfight tactics is, I'm proud of you, Reed. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like, pretty. That sounds prestigious. It's like mythic in arena. It's analogous. You know it's that. Like, you know that meme that the new something. meme of like the guy, the, the father who walks into the the son's room. He's like, son, <laughs> are, you are, winning, "Are you winning, son?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that feels applicable right now. Um. Yeah. Anyone else do anything interesting or no? Just going I, to all the all these parties and oh, you know, yeah. nights out on the town. Just and kissing a bunch of strangers, clubbing. Took a flight down to Malibu. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just Man, go to like. It's actually crazy busy. I, I get a I get a great view of the like the lakeshore, and there are so many people. Like it more than you would expect this time of year. It's actually ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's Wait, more disgusting. than disgusting. That's that's wow. Yeah, okay. like there's bike traffic that I. That looks infuriating. Like it looks like you you can't even ride your bike. <laughs> bumper to and bumper there's a, bike there's traffic. A, there's a bike track. Oh my dude. god. <laughs> there's a dedicated <laughs> bike, bike lane. gridlock. That sounds that sounds awful. Um, it's definitely been a little harder to get out walking without like running into a bunch of people now that the weather's getting a little a little warmer. No, Toronto yeah, problems. Yeah, definitely the weather. Yeah, I, I've been doing a whole lot. <laughs> Acting like people don't go for walks in Kingston. Dude, I'm back in uh, back in Guelph, so... Oh, yeah? Acting like you go enough. for walks in Guelph. <laughs> Morgan, <laughs> you didn't need to reveal that to everyone. Guelph, uh, I think, is objectively more walkable. It is. It's very... It's 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 uh, suburbia. Not a, not a whole ton of people to uh, to run into all the time. But yeah. I don't understand how they made a whole city that's just a suburb. <laughs> enough, enough about uh, talking, talking about suburbia and oh, Toronto man. and walking problems. Let's get into the actual show. So, up first, we've got new developments. Uh, and Morgan, you want to you want to cover this first one? Yeah. So, uh, as we announced a, a couple episodes ago, we held the first online two v two commander tournament, uh, and it was won by friends of the show Keegan and Zach at their first ever event on uh, double four color partner consult. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally just like this format, all the it's new also. strategies, tons of different stuff you can do. Um, no, but there was definitely some interesting stuff. There was a there was a Yisan and Derevi pairing, which was kind of spicy, which as, um, as as much as it didn't do super well, it was awesome to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was uh, a Reed and friend of the show. Tom were on uh like turbo discard was it croxa and kess it was croxa and kess we i think the idea came when we were like 
I was like, I want to play smallpox. Tom was like, I'm down with that idea. <laughs> and then Didn't we you play smallpox like once. Yes. How well did that work out for you? Uh, we immediately lost the game because I failed to hit land jobs after that. <laughs> I see. That's interesting. Interesting. Very, well. very. Uh, <laughs> so we all learned stuff, is what I'd say. Oh, but it was like it was lots of fun. You know, we had a we had a day playing magic. We had uh, a bunch of teams and a bunch of strategies. And uh, I think I'm definitely going to do it again. So yeah, I'll, I'll try and make it up for this one as well. And or I out for that announcement if you're interested in participating next time. Into the North, your source for all things 2v2. And walk I and walk so, huh? and traffic related content. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh Reed, you, you wanna you wanna talk about this? this yes, uh, there have been a huge uptick <laughs> in Hulk memes being pumped out since the banning of flash and it's fantastic i love everybody so much for putting out so much effort into this it's fantastic special uh, shout out to uh to timothy 87 friend yeah. of the uh friend of the show uh for his awesome and if you i feel like almost everyone in the cdh community has to have seen it he got a, it was a very popular reddit post i think he got gilded on our <laughs> our subreddit which is which is wild that's actually. impressive that yeah. like doesn't yeah, happen that's quite impressive uh yeah it's, we'll, uh, we'll be sure to link it if anyone uh if watch anyone this video it. it is hilarious i mean uh, also shouts to nathan because oh yeah nathan, nathan put out all the, the tiktoks been yeah. yeah tearing it up on tiktok <laughs> yeah uh 2v2 and memes New, new developments done. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so let's get into the main topic of the show, and that's uh, mid-range and CDH. So the first thing we're going to talk about is really kind of just hammering down what actually is, you know, mid-range in, in because that's CDH. that's not a simple question. <laughs> it is not a simple question. So I've got one point I'd like to bring up first, and that's that classifications... Um, or the classic, the classic um, classifications in uh, you know sixty card formats: mid range, control, aggro, combo. Those sort of exist in CDH, but uh, they're not as distinct as they are in sixty card, in my opinion. Um, the difference between you know the quintessential mid range deck in modern Jund and you know blue white control is vastly different than you know a cst mid-range deck in cdh versus a uh you know more controlling build of thrasios timna because you know everything is thrasios timna now but yeah the, the the cores of the deck are very similar and fundamentally every deck in cdh is a combo deck and you know you're just jam-packed full of staples and and a lot of the decks end up looking very similar if they're in similar colors and and that kind of makes it so that they're the these categories aren't as distinct yeah absolutely yeah. and i also think the top set of decks run a very similar set of value cards so we're talking rhystic study remoras and that's consistent as well yeah it's basically just like sort of what you see in general when you have um when you have a mix of like you know like four or five color meta ball in any format but also like specifically with the stuff that comes along with singleton just what happens yeah and especially like when we have you know when you have a hundred card singleton you get so much deeper into the pool of cards that are good for a given archetype that you 
often wind up just getting into cards that are generically good for every archetype mm-hmm. much faster. Right? Like, you really only need, what, 12 or 10 or so non-land cards, theoretically, to build a modern deck. Like, different, unique cards. Yeah. Whereas here you need, like, 70. So there's just not 70 cards that are good in unique strategies yeah when you have when you have like the that combination in modern where you've got however many cards you said like 12 different cards that are actually different and unique it allows you to build a more cohesive strategy and and rely on the internal synergies between those cards but you know as as the you know as you were saying 100 cards singleton there's just no unique combination of 50 cards that are going to you know interact in a in a way that's able to compete at at competitive edh tables so just you, you have to rely on on good stuff um and and one one thing uh that's a probably important to mention is that you know I, I i mentioned that all decks in cdh i think in, in my opinion are fundamentally combo decks and it didn't used to be that all these combos were similar and you know Razakats and hulk uh consults or, or like a commander specific combo all these things demand your deck to be built in a certain way and and you know some of them require certain synergies so there was a difference between these decks that was more pronounced but since the printing of thassa's oracle and you know consult becoming the de facto uh combo now that you know flash is also banned things are more similar than ever so talking about mid-range versus control versus um you know all in combo when everyone is at base a you know running all the good interaction tutors ramp and also the same win con in consult becomes you know difficult to distinguish but you know as we're going to get into there there is a distinction to uh to be to be uh pointed out to be made well i want to i want to disagree a little bit i don't I wouldn't say that CDH decks are all fundamentally combo decks. I think that they're, yeah, they're all combo decks in that they all have some sort of combo kill. But I think, like, what differentiates the archetypes is, you know, something like like a Curious Control isn't fundamentally a combo deck. It's a control deck that has a combo finish. And maybe something like Food Chain is fundamentally a combo deck. Like, it's just the whole deck is focused around setting up a certain combo rather than looking to interact with the game state on primarily on other axes axes than just winning yeah i i think i would definitely say that there's um there's a gradient of uh being like a quote-unquote combo deck in this format like depending on how focused you are on that combo and how many slots and all that stuff that you have dedicated toward a given combo or a given set of combos. Yeah, I think with with Morgan's point, that's something that I would agree to in terms of dis- distinguishing between the different CDH archetypes. But if you were to apply a, a 60 card lens to CDH decks, I think a player would have a difficult time distinguishing between the combo control and mid range decks. Uh, in CDH, uh, that's just my 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 two cents. Sure, I I I agree with that. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty on what actually differentiates mid range uh, from these other uh, classifications in CDH, uh, because this this is a 
because this could potentially provide some insight for uh, our listeners. Well, so yeah, I, I do think it's got a lot harder in the advent of, of Thassa's Oracle. So I think if we look a little bit, bef if we look before the printing of Thassa's Oracle, um, I think that mid-range decks are ones whose combos aren't necessarily conducive to being done super fast. Um, so things like Food Chain or Flash Hulk would probably be too fast to be mid-range, although often Flash Hulk was played in a more mid-range way because of instant speed wins and how powerful it is to leverage that. It's especially um, in decks like Sacred Hulk, for example. Yeah, and I, and I would say fundamentally uh, there were combos that were too slow, I would say, to be considered mid-range as well um, with, you know, Consult before uh, Oracle was printed was actually quite mana intensive and also somewhat vulnerable, particularly to things like Abrupt Decay, uh, where you know, you're trying to get, like, Jace plus Demonic Consultation, you need triple blue plus whatever mana for counterspells to protect. Um, and that was, like, a five-mana win that, where, like, if you got Chain of Vapor, you literally lost the game. Um, so, I think that decks that were trying to sort of control and then go for a win like that also weren't really, uh, weren't really mid-range, but something like, uh, I guess to a degree, Opus Thief, where you had sort of like, you put two, you have, you know, you put two, three, or four mana cards together, and it does something game-ending-ish, or uh, maybe something like Razaketh, where like your reanimation is a little bit slower, uh, and you have room for a little bit more value and not quite as much control. Um, and you're, I think you're those also would have been... Because of the restrictions of your combo and the Razakats example, especially, you're not even necessarily going for the like for a hard win all the time when you are doing your power plays, right? Which is sort of indicative of mid range as well. Like, there's a lot of times when you instead of going for Razakath, you're going for a Genicataxius or an Elshorn or something. Yeah, that's a that's another um, important thing to look at, and I think now we see that a little bit more with like. Uh, you know, slow Nas, aka Seaborn Muse, <laughs> where it's like, oh, I'm gonna cast the Seaborn Muse, and if I can make it stick, like, I'm gonna start activating Thrasios, you know, six times a turn cycle or whatever. Um, and I'm eventually gonna kill you, just not <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Sigil Tracer is the most mid range card in the game, change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> when Thrasios is in your command zone, yeah, definitely. Or, or if in the command zone, come on. <laughs> yeah, so I think these examples kind of illustrate one thing which we, we've kind of danced around a bit, which is actually putting, or, or trying to put a clear definition on what mid-range in CDH is, and that is, you know, the presence of value engines in a slower, uh, not all-in combo game plan. Well, yeah, so I, I would say, as a definition for pre-Thorical times, it was decks that didn't quite have as much interaction as a uh, like full control deck, but we're playing more accessible combos than a control deck, and we're a bit more combo focused than a control deck, while also not having the same speed as all in, you know, value. Yeah, I would which, say it, basically. I would say like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> basically, like you know, like what like you would think of. What do you think of mid range? It's like the midpoint between fast and slow like between like fast combo and control right you, you sort of have quote unquote the best of both worlds yeah they sacrificed they sacrificed uh card quality f 
for combo accessibility, but speed for value, I would say. Yeah. Now, that being said, <laughs> Oracle has been printed and it has not been banned. So And it's not going away. No. Yeah, it's, so, it's not going away. So don't start pushing for an Oracle ban, please. <laughs> it, it, please no. It format's fine. It's very healthy. I'm happy with where it is. <laughs> um so that being said, that sort of gives context for the discussion that we're about to have on what mid-range means now, because it's definitely different from what it meant before the now times. Um, because mid-range now is, I would say, what I, like, what in my conception is basically like what would be called value town in a 60-card format, um, or just, like, it's on on like the trifecta between interaction combo and value engines it's playing value engines and combo is what mid-range is right now mm-hmm. right that, like on, on the way, on the three red graph it's like low on interaction high on value engines high on combo so you you don't think that the you don't think that something like ctc or cst is like really a mid-range deck because i would consider those pretty high on interaction oh um I'm not sure how high those are on interaction. I don't know. I okay. So <laughs> I would say CTC specifically is like sort of on the midway point between a control deck and a mid range deck. Just be, <laughs> just because of the large amount of interaction in it. Um, I where I think like CD or like CST. We can't even call it CST anymore. It's like just like console Thrasios. <laughs> what ah? What do you even? Call we should that? definitely call it Cat Console Adnos Thrasios. <laughs> but wait, but so but that's an overload. <laughs> we can't do that. Right, wait, CTC is also Cat then. Every the, okay. The issue yeah. here. Okay, I'm, right. Yeah, bit, an of, bit, of tangent, bit of a tangent, but every like it's impossible to call something CST now because there are so many different ways to build CST now that. Oracle is a thing that like th- just like every part of Thrasios X with a console like thing in it is CST. <laughs> Let's just call it four color metaball and and half done. <laughs> but th- okay, but then we don't have th- then we don't have like descriptions for what I mean when I say CST, which is the like sort of like lean ish on interaction combo based list with consult and like scepter hypothetically but with like a fair amount of value engines and high card quality I mean, like i mean i'm looking i'm looking at the cst list that's in the database i would not describe this as lean on interaction sure <laughs> okay fine what i'm saying is this leaner on interaction than like control is <laughs> i guess i don't this okay for for our valued listeners, this is what we mean by it gets complicated once Oracle gets printed. <laughs> well, I do think one of the things we did see a big uptick in is what you mentioned with cats, where there are a lot of power plays that aren't immediately game ending. Yes, like decks that are are actively looking to play like familiar training grounds with Thrasios, maybe Seedborn Muse, um, uh, Notion Thief, Smothering Tide, Notion Thief. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Opus Thief kind of fits that same description because of uh, half of its combo, generally speaking, being, con- being considered a value engine. Like Smothering Tithe and yeah. you know, even, even uh, it's not really value, but you know, Narset kind of acts as negative value because in the most most cases, value just means drawing cards. 
I mean, Narset's also like a stacks piece plus value engine plus combo yeah, piece. Yeah, that that's deck, why I don't, so, yeah. Yeah, don't really want to say it, but it, it does have, yeah, exactly, that overlap. Hot takes from Into the North. Narset is a good card with a lot of utility. <laughs> <laughs> wow, who'd have guessed? <laughs> yeah, so I think. Def th definitely this... didn't ruin Vintage, the other singleton format. They continue. <laughs> <laughs> Vintage, the other, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think one thing this conversation has, you know, shown is that mid-range and classifications, it, it tends to be a, a quite a, a loaded term, and people have different interpretations of it. Uh, it, it comes from a, a long lineage of other loaded terms in CDH that kind of describe the same or similar, similar thing that decks are trying to do, uh, you know, adaptive which was, you know, oh, used God. to describe... <laughs> I'm not even... Yeah, I'm just not even going <laughs> to... Adaptive and layered. We're not going to get into discussions of these because uh, these terms are very fraught. <laughs> we're just, <but laughs> just name-dropping them and let the, letting the chaos play out elsewhere. Because... Oh, my God. Yeah, mid-range mid is the just the newest version of this. Uh, well, I think, I, mean, I think a it, lot of it comes from trying to port, uh, like, concepts that apply really or reasonably cleanly in one versus one formats to a four player free for all where there's like so many more axes along which things can operate and other elements of the format namely the hundred card singleton aspect the commander aspect and the absurdly high life totals that you have to deal with also like shift a lot of strategies largely out of viability so uh, there's a decent like what's an aggro deck right that also doesn't translate very well yeah and i mean like yeah it, it's like once 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 you take the i think i really think the, like the life total thing is probably the biggest thing here is that like once you take a like being able to pressure life totals out of the equation things get very weird very quickly when trying to describe in 60 card like 20 life terms yeah, so what kind of relationship would you say mid-range has to, you know, fast all-in combo and control? How, how is it trying to uh, to best the, these kinds of strategies? So I would say, like, currently, like, I think, like, the cleanest... So it's not... This isn't a comprehensive or granular description of what mid-range means, but I think, like, what, the, what everybody can agree on, what mid-range is trying to do, as in, like, the goal of the strategy, is you're looking to go over uh, combo decks or, like, outvalue, outgrind combo decks that are, like, throwing in, like, token grind pieces. And you're trying to take advantage of them, like, sort of faking going long and actually committing to playing real value pieces, playing a, like really good card density, and just like going into the long game and doing it way better than them, right? Like definitely it happens from like blue combo decks are playing against like Goto and Gitrog and whatever, and they're like, okay, well, I don't really want to try to outspeed them, so I'm just going to play value engines and then like interact a bit and then just kill them once they fizzle. And typically that comes in the form of, I'm going to play Timna and Thrasios. These are going to be my, like, my only value engines aside from like a Rhystic study. And that's just going to be enough to put me far ahead in the light game. To just like outvalue them completely. And mid-range is, as a whole, looking to be like, okay, I see that you're trying to weakly commit to this. I'm just going to go way over you. 
outvalue the hell out of you and take over. Mm-hmm. Good, good points. So, what are the most popular mid-range decks in CDH right now? I think we've touched on a lot of these. There's Consult Thrasios, there's Opus Thief, Razakats, and Thrasios Bruce Tarl. And, of yeah. course, a bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah. You could probably... You may have noticed that these are all pretty much Thrasios-based decks, except for Opus Thief, which, which is a Tibna-based deck. <laughs> which is, well, it's just a crumb based deck. Yeah, fair. If you, if you could take it from the value, that's, yeah. Yeah, so well, one yeah. thing that's that's important about mid-range in CDH compared to uh, 60 card or even like more casual EDH is that your reliance on having... Uh, value engines is is so high and you can't sacrifice too many slots in your main deck that it's almost impossible to have a mid-range deck where your commander isn't providing you a solid amount of uh value it's well, got to yeah, be a, a card advantage engine of, of some kind or you're going way out of the way uh to make your deck you know your, your 100 card singleton deck have a bunch of value engines and you know, most decks are running all the good ones already, so you have to go pretty deep uh, before you're 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 going to meet that that threshold. Yeah, and I mean that like say- that sort of just comes from the a card economy standpoint as well, where like you, the only way for you to get ahead in cards in this format efficiently is to be drawing a lot of them and to be playing value engines. Like you can't play like stacks pieces or like not stacks pieces, you know, but like you, it's hard to play like hand attack and board attack efficiently in a lot of cases. So you just sort of just have to go for card draw. Also, like your your value is kind of how many cards you draw times how useful each one is. So the more value engines you put in, there's kind of diminishing returns. Like if your Ristic Study triggers are just drawing you like compost and insight and <laughs> like then, insight. then mind blade oh, render, no. then like eventually, you know, you aren't actually generating value that lets you interact on other axes. And I think one thing I I wanted to mention before uh, when we were talking about what defines a mid-range deck is that it's not just the construction, it's also the play patterns. And this follows on from Reed's point about, you know, weekly committing to grind or value. Like, there's a Ristic study in my Food Chain, Ukima, and Kazur deck. I wouldn't, like, I'm not going to tutor it anytime soon. Whereas if I'm playing, like, an actual mid-range, you know, Thrasios Timna, or maybe Thrasios Vial Smasher whatever it is, consult focus deck, I could very easily see myself spending a tutor not to try and combo and win, but to get a value engine going to try and put myself ahead aiming for a longer game. Well said. Yeah, that's that's a that's an important point to bring up for sure. So talking about play patterns, you know, how what 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 are these these play patterns that we should be following? Um when we're playing mid range, anything else besides uh, tutoring up value engines, or is there well, other so things that's, we should that's, be considering? That's a big one. So, like, I think, like, continuing from Morgan's point, there, um, a large part of playing mid range or playing like a mid range style game, even if you're not necessarily on what would normally be considered a mid range deck, whatever, because who knows what those are anyway. Um, <laughs> playing like a mid range style game is a lot about like sort of like subtly altering threat assessment as well and using that to make decisions so like 
as an extension or I guess like as a precursor to tutoring for a heuristic study in uh, like Morgan's case, you have to be thinking about, okay, like what do I actually need to win this game right now? Because if it's not because if it's like if it's not likely that you're going to win the game off of just tutoring for like some like consult win and trying to jam it because people have interaction, then like, are you going to just hold this tutor forever and like not get any value out of it? Like, because then you just have a dead card stuck in hand. And what else are you doing? So maybe it's a lot better of an idea there to tutor for the value piece and play out the value piece and then try to get ahead in cards to then later on go for the win con. So it's a lot about like altering your expectations for the game away from I'm going to go for a combo and just try to jam it. And also like your threat assessment in, in like what is a threat in this game. Yeah, and I think like when you know when we're talking about this sort of threat assessment and what uh, might be threatening over a long game, um, and developing these value engines and sort of managing our value, like the value that you're getting uh, and the advantage you're generating, I think people often sort of you know they tutor their their heuristic study and they just want to jam it, or people think a lot about. Uh, putting out their value engines early, which obviously makes sense, right? The longer your value engine is in play, um, the more value it's likely to generate. Uh, but another sort of key thing when you're piloting one of these decks is that you do need to be careful and manage, uh, like your threat assessment. Yes. Long game things are a threat. Um, but a long-term threat is always, should always be secondary to a short-term threat in that, you know, you don't want to just be be going, oh, well, I have to resolve this heuristic study now so I can draw at least, you know, one extra card this turn cycle so I'll be ahead eight turns from now, you know, when it's, when I'm trying to duke it out with this, you know, Thrasios Vile Smasher value deck and I'm on my Thrasios Timna value deck. Like, if you do that and you tap out and then you just die to food chain, then, uh, you didn't actually generate that much value. Um, so it's yeah. it's important to realize, like, one of the characteristics in other formats of mid-range decks is they are controlling in the early game, right? Like, Jund will have some removal and hand attack to stop, you know, the faster decks, and then it'll transition to these, like, really efficient, slightly larger creatures to, to sort of close out the game. And you need something similar to that, where you can't just be like racing to put out these your your efficient pieces. You also do need to control the early game a little bit. So you know maybe that's that means holding up mana on turn three. Not you know a huge amount, but at least representing some form of interaction um, and evaluating when you think you might need to be interacting, particularly in the early stages of the game when. Ideally, you'd want to be able to develop. You have to make sure that you can do that safely. Yeah. And I mean, like, continuing on that, I know we've gone over this before, but it's a lot about as well as, like, knowing to keep mana up and keep interaction up to not die early so that you can actually have the chance to land the value engines to continue on to the late game. It's also really important for these types of strategies to know when you can shirk the responsibility of interaction onto other people at the table and just put a value engine into play and recognizing, like, when a pod is likely to go that long. But yeah, it's it's like you have to be cognizant of the fact that just because you're playing the mid-range value deck that you think is well suited to your meta doesn't mean that 
people at the table are going to be playing the mid-range game. Like you can't just take for granted that your deck's going to get to the late game to do the work that it, that it is designed to do. You have to be aware that, yeah. yeah, you might just die early if you're not keeping up appearances. I think a common mistake I see in regards to like learning when to you know, tap out and learning when to keep up mana is the turn one Mystic Remora. Because, like, sure, it's excellent value, but can you really be a slave to that Remora for three, four turns? But if you wait until turn two, you act, you do actually leave yourself up with a little bit of mana. And I mean, like, especially in a dork deck, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, like, yeah, going, totally. going first often, like... The FOMO gets me where if I don't play the Remora and then someone goes like Crypt and the next person goes Diamond, I'm like, damn. Yeah, that's that's. But like, if I'm going third, yeah, definitely a big. I'm a big, big fan of turn one land dork, turn two land Remora. That's just when I see that played against me, I'm like, oh no. Because also, I think anybody that's ever like been a witness to played against or played with a late game remora can attest that it's just like the most <laughs> oppressive shit <laughs> this is going yeah. to be here literally forever yeah. yeah when when you're if you if you play that that turn one remora and your opponent just like laughs and plays their dorks and just starts developing their they develop they play their commanders and stuff and you're kind of priced into paying the remora it's such a feels bad definitely i like matt's strategy of of uh waiting a bit until you have waiting. some mana yeah. to develop with for yourself yeah and even in non-green decks if you can go like turn to rock remora that's also really nice like an arcane signet or a talisman or something oh yeah no 100 percent. okay so now that we've, we've talked about how to play as mid-range what about the mirror match uh, how do you play against other mid-range decks what what or if you're not uh piloting mid-range yourself how do you how do you combat what the mid-range decks are trying to do because i think it's been a pretty clear meta trend that things are are skewing towards mid-range this was happening before hulk um and this still seems to be the case where things are are very mid-range centric right now so how how can our listeners combat this menace well if it's Three mid-range decks versus your one combo deck. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to say, but that's, a different gonna be a, that's gonna be a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna be rough. I mean, that you, being, you might want to adapt a bit. That being said, it depends on the quality of the players, right? I mean, if they're being greedy and tapping out, just get them. Although I think I think actually yeah. that reminds me, and you know, you said like shirking the responsibility of interaction. I feel like this is a point that doesn't get discussed, maybe as much as it should. Um, where uh, people who try and sort of force the burden of interaction onto other people, like you can certainly put people in positions where they feel like they lose either way and they're willing to take risks. And I think that that often gets, like people think of that as poor play. Um, and like you have to consider, you know, what your opponent views as threats. So like an example from a game I played a few weeks ago, I tapped low for a uh, smothering tithe and then you know uh, someone tried to counter it and the person after me was looking like they might be able to combo like it wasn't oh this is a sure thing they've tutored twice and they have a bunch of mana it was like oh you know they're in a pretty decent position um, you know there's a decent chance they could go for it if they think there's an opportunity 
and it was like I tapped low to play the Smothering Tithe, holding up, I think it was Swan Song, and someone was like, oh, well, I don't think you can afford to tap out here to protect this, so they fought over it, and I immediately fought back, and they went like, wow, you're gonna tap out and give this other person the chance to to combo, you know, without a lot of interaction presented, and it was like, yes, I am, and that's not ideal, um, but from my perspective, if I don't develop this value engine, like, you have a value engine, I don't. If I spend mana to cast a value engine and don't actually get one, like, I'm, I'm not winning this game, right? So, like, it is, it is important to consider how, like, if, if Rhystic Study or, or Smothering Tithe is a long game threat, then not having a Rhystic Study or a Smothering Tithe is, like, equally a long game threat for the person who's losing it. And so I think it's important to, like, manage when you can interact and when people, you know, it's all, it's always labeled as greedy. It's not necessarily greedy if you don't think you can win the game unless you develop it, unless you develop something. Yeah. And that, that's sort of like the other side of shirking responsibilities on interaction, right? Is like sometimes it just doesn't turn out well. <laughs> and like, that's not always spite. Like sometimes it is, sometimes it's like, screw you, I'm not going to do this for whatever reason. But sometimes it's you put them in a position where they're behind and you're saying you can't develop or it's your fault that we lose. Like you chose to put them in that position where if they don't develop, they lose. And if they do develop, they lose. Yeah. So it, like it's you can't you can't back the animal into a corner, right? <laughs> you got to give them a way out. That being said, you know, hard to pass up the opportunity to uh, guarantee your opponent is in a lose lose situation. Oh God! As I, long I, as you're I not, love screwing over opponents. With well, Apple, yeah. as long as you're not losing. <laughs> exactly. with them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was, we touched on this earlier, but also I think like one of the ways to play against, uh, mid range is that if there, if it isn't like a full, like, oh, I'm playing against three control decks and they're all sort of mid range here, I'm playing as three mid range decks. Well, I guess I just have to join them. If it's like, <laughs> you have like one or two mid range decks in a pod, it's very reasonable to just play a deck to try to get under them and just kill them outright. Um, because it's definitely like there, those, the slots that those value engines are in have to come from somewhere. And a lot of the time, like, they might not be cutting fully down an interaction, but there's going to be some interaction cut out of decks to make room for them. Along with, like, probably, like, some wincon package as well, but um, I mean, they're going to be tapping out for different things early in the game and their goals are a bit different. So, I mean, if if it's, like, there are definitely people at the table that are going to be tapped down, yeah, just, like, go for some fast decks, see if you can't get them. Um, yeah, I, I think, like, Definitely don't compromise your core strategy, uh, in a situation like that yeah um like definitely if there are mid-range decks at the table or in your meta definitely don't try to like half-ass a mid-range strategy and put in like two value engines and try to like keep up with them because typically it's not going to happen like you're just not the deck just isn't built to do that so just like i don't know if, if you're in that if you're in that situation where you have to be playing that deck you're like your single one deck um like if you if you're stuck with playing food chain and you can't play any other deck, just play faster food chain. Don't try to play whatever else, right? Yeah, and and I think another like another thing, sort of following on from from the whole like forcing people or you know trying to force people to interact. 
you can often uh, play like one mid-range deck against another because they like in a battle of mid-range deck versus mid-range deck whoever's greedier is going to win well, who, but, who, whoever like flies closest to the sun without burning up wins, right? Like, well, but yeah. like you're you want to be as greedy as possible. But the thing is, if there's not mid range decks in the pod, you have to make sure that you're not losing to them. Yes. So one of the things you can do is you can like let's say two people develop like a really good value engine. One of them's tapped out. One of them has mana. You want to try and combo off. It's like all right, I'll try and kill your Fabro Elder. You know, like before my turn. You know, I have the mana, I'll, I'll chain of vapor your favor of Elder. And then it's like, you know, they're either put in the position where they they have to let themselves get set behind, or potentially they try and stop the chain of vapor, which makes it easier for you to combo. Um, or something like that, where because they are operating on an axis where value engines represent long-term threats, uh, that also means that value engines need to be protected and need like they have to use their answers both to develop theirs and answer their opponents yeah just like um, just because it's like the length of the game that they're looking at playing their answers are going to be more taxed just because they they're not just looking for like last minute counter the win con they also have to be planning for long term uh who's going to come out in the card advantage game and yeah you can definitely play that up and like make or like you can also bait this by playing out like Sylvan Libraries or whatever. Like if you're, um, if you're in like green, like a, I think a great way to do this personally for me is like try to jam out like a thing, uh, Carpet of Flowers, because <laughs> a lot of mid range decks just don't want a Carpet of Flowers on somebody else's board because it's like hard to overcome that man advantage, right? Or just like stuff like that. Fair enough. So. Last point we have here before we uh, conclude our discussion on mid range is about life total management. Um, and this this is a point that we can be made. You know, as the mid range player, you should be aware of how to manage your life total. And then also like, playing against mid range decks, when is it right to uh, you know stop attacking the uh, the Gitrog player, the Adnos player, the Kess Zer or whoever, and start you know focusing on the mid-range player. Well, I think we have actually discussed attacking the Adnos player, but I think our points were like, it doesn't actually take that much life to turn them off of their Adnos. And I guess the same can possibly apply for Razaketh. I think with... <laughs> okay, people are going to hate this, but I think Morgan agrees with me. I think Life Total is less of an issue with Razaketh now. <laughs> Because if, yeah. if you're playing a list with <laughs> Oracle in it, it's really not life yeah. intensive. Yeah, anymore. sure. But I, yeah. I definitely I definitely agree that people tend to overpressure Adnos players. Um it, to a different to different degrees, but like it's like a lot of the time for decks that aren't like if it, as long as they're not playing a farm deck where they're built to be as slim as possible and every single hit in their deck is a hit off of Adnos that'll win them the game. Um, if they're playing anything close to like a mid rangey deck that's using Adnos even sort of for value, all it takes is a lot of the time like getting them below thirty to turn them off of efficient Adnoses. Um, and it can be like really a lot more efficient to start putting damage elsewhere if needed because if the mid-range player is going to try and take the game long 
uh, that chip damage really starts to add up. And, you know, they're they're taking advantage of very strong value engines like Necropotence, Sylvan Library, uh, Mana Crypt damage can really start to add up. And, you know, if you get a, a couple good swings in there, by the time they're they're uh, they're they're getting towards the end game, you know, they're they're uh, mana. Uh, so their mana confluences and city of brasses and all these these things that they need to support their, you know, four color value engine deck just become you know unfeasible to activate so yeah like, card is great at both uh providing chip damage but also also avoiding <laughs> losing life bruce yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think sylvan library i think sylvan library is like one of the most obvious ones here because like you could deal a lot of damage to yourself with the sylvan library and i think that people you know you play it and it's like okay next turn i'm going to take eight and draw three um and then, you know, a lot of people will take, like, sort of on autopilot, will take, like, 16 or even 24. But if you take 24 damage from a Sylvan Library, and then, I don't know, you take, like, 5 or 6 damage from your lands. You, know, you, you fetch twice, you tap a City of Brass twice, and you have a Shockland come in untapped because you drew it. Okay, now you're at 10. Like, if you're expecting this game to go, say, to, like, turn 8, that means your opponents have you know five-ish turns to deal a total of 10 combat damage to you and then you die um and then you know with something like sylvan library the ability to be able to safely draw cards with it is useful so maybe you stop drawing earlier you say okay i'll put back this okay card and shuffle it away with a fetch so that you know two turns down the line when i draw the great card i can actually draw an extra card um and same thing with like finding you know i've i've mentioned this before but like tutoring for mana crypt versus soul ring like in a 10 turn game your mana crypt's expected damage or let's say an eight you expect the game to go for another eight turns after you play the mana crypt that's 12 damage on average that you're taking and sometimes it'll be like 18 if you just get a little unlucky and like you know get chunked by a crom once or twice and like all of a sudden you know you can definitely be finished off um so you definitely need to be cognizant when you're expecting games to go longer about things that you can take for granted in four or five turn games dude don't just listen <laughs> yeah. to the mid-range player telling you why are you attacking me and not the ad nauseum player because that is <laughs> You will hear that every time, and sometimes, you know, you just need to tell them, you know why. Dude, can I... <laughs> you know why. Can I also just say that Krom is, like, the bane of mid-range value engine decks everywhere? <laughs> God, he beats so hard. <laughs> yeah, Krom practically is unblockable, and... Because you're not blocking with your flyers, because they're probably even mind sensors or whatever. They're puny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man, though... In regards to Sylvan Library, like, if you can... A turn 2 Sylvan Library is equivalent to, like, you know, an established turn 6 Thrasios mid-range deck. It, like, the power of... I mean, obviously you're paying a lot of life, but it is really hard to to balance um, paying life with Sylvan Library because it is just so effective. In my experience. Yeah. I mean, playing Bruce Tarle definitely helps. <laughs> playing Bruce definitely helps. <laughs> Pad out those. God, now I sort of want to play a Bruce Crom yeah. deck. 
I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, Bruce Crom. Gave like eight every turn. That's not bad. But the problem is, is that you don't get any yeah, great. Right? You, it's not like you get any of the good life it. total yeah, it's, it's, value it's not like you're doing anything with it because you're a Jess guy, but I mean, still, getting eight life return. Commander damage, man. Commander damage. <laughs> no, but like, you, you, don't, you don't get Sylvan Larry, <laughs> you don't get Adnaz, you don't get Necropotence. Like, what? <laughs> it's, you're using it to, to, <laughs> to hit your life to make sure your life is high enough for Sarah Ascendant. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're using it to get as much mana off of Treasonous Ogre as possible. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you don't it, even yeah. put any storm elements in the deck. You just run Aetherflux Reservoir. Yeah, easy. Yeah, at that point, Treasonous Ogre is just another Biomancer. Yeah, familiar, I mean, pretty right? much. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, but you don't have Thrasios. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> well, that's that's our uh, discussion, all our discussion on this uh, episode for uh, mid-range. So, time to move on to everyone's favorite segment. Gut check! Gut check! Check the gut. Gut check. So, this week's gut check is brought to us uh, courtesy of Morgan. So, Morgan, why don't you uh, regale us with your lovely, lovely gut check that you've prepared? All right. So, this one may take a, a little bit of thinking from everyone. Uh, oh, no. But what's the. I said biggest, and you can use that to mean strongest, most common, biggest part of the meta, whatever, uh, deck that you've never played against. Biggest deck that I've never played against. Good. It's a good one. Like, never, ever played against? Or, like, very, very rarely? Uh, if you've played against them, but they never did their thing, I'll count that. Like, you played against them once, but, you know, like... Because in a pod where you got flash hulked on turn two, then biggest like, part of the yeah. current meta or biggest part of a meta? Uh, you have to have been playing when the deck was big. Okay, but it can be historical. I feel I like big is now. Against... Yeah, the the, the big is going to be very bigly. small. Big, bigly, <laughs> yeah. Because I've I, I've played. A, I'm trying. I'm like working through all like the because uh, I'm thinking for CDH. I've played. A, I've you know played against pretty much every tiered deck that I could think of and now we're on like thinking down to you know lower tiers and I guess it's upper tier now but I'll, I'll give my answer I think I don't think I've played against a Euroco deck and wow that's surprising that's not it's not like Euroco is big but it's not like big big you know so that, that, that was the best I could come up with and I think that's, I mean that's, that's pretty, I think that's a good one so yeah, okay. I don't think Okay, so it's weird. Uh, this is like, okay, like two-ish different ones. First of all, I don't think I ever played against Grixis Twin. When it was like, in the meta. Like, yeah. that, that was fairly large, right? Like, that's yeah, that's a pretty big deck. I uh, don't think I ever played against that. If we go back a bit further, I'm not sure I've ever played against a Prosh deck and seen it do the thing. I yeah, I've played against a Prosh deck. <laughs> I forget who yeah. brought it, but someone definitely had a Prosh deck at. Yeah, um, I, I, that sounds right. I, I don't think I've ever played against like a very strict stock Razakats list. I think I've played against a lot of Razakats, like Morgan's Razakats variant, which is I think a, like a reasonable enough departure to say it's not Razakats, but. Yeah. I mean, when the deck's called Cat Burglars, how can it be Razakats? <laughs> 
Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's a hard question, you know? Biggest, right? But, yeah. Morgan, what about you? Uh, I've never played against a Moltroth of the Grid. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever actually played against uh, He-Man. Oh. Like, Lucky dude. Like, Lucky when dude. it actually had humility in it. <laughs> What's not fun? I've obviously played against, you know, <laughs> mid-range ad nauseum decks, but... What's... What's I've never actually... Yuriko or, or Brawl? You've never played uh, against Brawl? you never played, played against, against Brawl. Brawl, no. I don't think I've ever played against JVP, either. What? Actually, now that I think about it. I can uh, think you have of not one played... particular person who only plays mono blue decks that would probably have tried Brawl You You have not played... I don't think Keegan's ever played Brawl. You have not played against enough <laughs> ASM, then, Morgan. Because <laughs> that is, like, one of the core ASM decks. Because I never played against... Yeah, there's... Oh, you know what? I haven't played against very many... Teferi decks, because I was generally you were always playing Teferi deck. I know for a fact you played against a Teferi deck because I was in the finals of uh, the the MTG or sorry GP Toronto that that commander tournament. Oh, okay, but that was I remember that. Yeah. That wasn't the competitive Teferi deck. That was a uh, that was a eighty percent. I'll give it that. 80%. Close enough. Okay, it was running creatures. Well. Our episode for Gut Check, uh, and before we close things out, we've got a couple listener questions. So, uh, Mystery Bisque asks, is MLD, uh, Mass Land Destruction, CDH viable? If not, why? If so, which commanders fit MLD best? So I think at one point in time, this is probably sort of. <laughs> the, the answer to this at one point was sort of. Um, and I think the only case where it was Captain Sisse. fine yeah. was Sisse and Rurikthar. And those were like the only two that you had that could do MLD. It was good in yeah. Sissé, I think. Sissé, it was fine in Sissé. I think it definitely was like a thing that you could do that wasn't terrible. <laughs> I think having a Sissé in play and casting an MLD spell was fine. But, that was I mean, that was a viable I, thing I, to put in the deck. I certainly like play tested a decent amount of of Sissé, and I found that like a lot of the time. I did not want to be casting the Mass Land Destruction. Like, it was good if you had the board state and nothing else was particularly threatening, but I think that that's fundamentally the problem with Mass Land Destruction, Yeah, is that it's really hard to be ahead, like, to be enough ahead of three other people that you can cast a four-mana spell and still be comfortably ahead. Yeah, and I think the only other place where it was ever, like, good, like, decent to good was Rurikthar, and that was only because at the time when Rurikthar was good or was playable, it was because Rurikthar on his own, like on the board, was basically unbeatable to a wide swath of decks, and as soon as you resolved a spell that took apart everybody else's mana, they basically couldn't win the game anymore. Fair enough. But that's, so that's I, I only, actually do think That's only when MLD... like, Storm was the only like good combo deck. I do think MLD is actually CDH viable right now in a very specific <laughs> deck. Uh, oh, God, you know, don't. Ten, ten buckaroos, if you can guess don't what deck I think it is. Oh, is it a uh, blue-white hapier person? No. Not Lavinia? Okay. Oh, my God. No, no, no. I, I, said, I said CEDH, man, okay? <laughs> oh. and, and we're talking about CEDH all-star Godo Bandit Warlord oh, okay. right now. So, I think uh, Ruination... Um, 
is is something that's certainly you okay. Know, okay, Runic is hardly MLD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like barely consider that MLD. And then also, like a short-term I think <laughs> in, on the same on the same note, along with Ruination, because uh, actually Godo is running a lot of utility lands, so Ruination is kind of hard to fit in unless you're going like very dedicated. Towards so you that. can't even play the but fake MLD spell. <laughs> the, the other fake MLD that you can run is uh, from the Ashes, oh which I think God. is actually pretty interesting, uh, considering most of the four color decks, you know, running one or two basics at most. Uh, so you get to uh, completely wipe everyone's mana, set them back quite a bit, and then just refill your utility land, the, the utility lands that you destroyed with uh, basic mountains, because you run a lot. Honestly, yeah. though, man, if you could cast a wildfire and actually pull it off, I think that would be huge. <laughs> <laughs> that hits a lot. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Six like, mana. I feel like I've, I've like thought about that a few times trying to find a deck that can like cast that can attack dorks and lands but like the problem is, is that rocks are just so easy to attack and like clearly <laughs> that's what you're gonna have to lean on if you're if you're yeah. like Dude, playing wildfire i have an answer for you it's called sahili the gifted <laughs> So, I think the issue with wildfire. Hard pass. I think the issue with <laughs> wildfire is that anything that can cast wildfire can probably cast any other large spell that would just win the game, right? Yes. <laughs> like, like, yes, there's if, an element if you, of that. For, like, largely speaking, if you can cast a wildfire, you can cast a consecrated sphinx. And I'd put like $100 on a consecrated sphinx winning the game most of the time over a wildfire. Yeah, uh, fundamentally the problem with MLD is that you have to be ahead, and when you have, when there's three opponents and one you, that's like a much less consistent uh, state to be in than it is when there's only one opponent. It's just like, it's just really hard to, and it's also, because of the inconsistency of being able to find these effects... And like the and the inconsistency or like the relatively low density of of like things that are good with wildfires or MLD cards, it's hard to build a deck that consistently can cast them and be ahead after casting them. Like it's really and really difficult to like always have the combinations of cards that put you ahead. And like it's so easy to get blown out. Yeah. Like let's say you you know you're like super clever and so you're playing your like. Big brain Elsha wildfire anti dork anti land deck, and you're like, nice. I'll play this rock, and then that'll make Elsha four four, and then I'll cast wildfire. Should be a five five. I'll wipe all my opponent's creatures and blow up their lands. And one of them's like, cool chain of vapor. Your Elsha. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> and you're like, a hundred percent. Oh no, a hundred percent. I was. I remember <laughs> playing against like in the early phases of uh, uh oh, what's it? Sorry, the uh, John Planeswalker. Um. Windgrace. Yeah, in the early days of Windgrace, playing against, um, yeah. like when Windgrace first got spoiled, I was playing against a Windgrace deck with some MLD in it. It wasn't even an MLD deck, but it was with some MLD in it. Got like the perfect draw, cast a Jokel Hops with Windgrace on the board, and I went great, flood of blue mana. Resolves, chain, <laughs> chain the Windgrace. Great. <laughs> now we're all back to the terrible position because you never got yeah. to down ticket. And there's like a decent prevalence of some cards that just completely blanket. Like if someone plays Smothering Die, that's like. Yeah. Nice Armageddon idiot. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, our our next and final question comes to us from N Slover, uh, who I believe is the person who made our podcast logo. Indeed. So sure is. For that. 
so N Slover asks, what are your personal favorite commanders slash decks in one, two, three, four, and five colors? I'm interested. Wow, no colorless. Get out of here. I'm interested if we all have the same <laughs> five color deck that we enjoy. Actually, probably not because this isn't CDH only. So we're not going yeah, to. There's zero okay, chance. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to. This is. This I don't takes think I've some had plunking. a five color deck. I, I, can, I can quickly name mile. mine, yeah, I, I think. I have. I don't know if I can do. F I feel like four colors the hardest one to decide. Okay. So we, we took a little break. Uh, to to deliberate and decide on on what our uh, our actual favorite decks are in these, and you know we we didn't we didn't take so long that we're you know we're super confident in our answers. This is just uh, the the first things that we were able to come up with that you know were at least a bit satisfying. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go uh, in the normal order, um, and we're each gonna give our first. We're, we're gonna start with one color, and then I'll give our answers and move on to two color, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I'll start, and my favorite one-color deck is uh, Gorkla. At least right now, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I'm man. I'm a fan. Uh, and uh, I think it's a close tie, but I'd say that my favorite monocolor deck is Kiki Jiki. Before oh, your banned. Kiki Jiki deck was so good. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Well, it's dead, dude. It's dead. Primer coming soon. <laughs> I gotta say, I think mine is probably Nissa Vaspid Seer. Because that deck is mm. sick. Oh. It's like, it's. I, I know none of you have played against it really, but like in its fully. I played against it. What? Not yours specifically. No, I played against, against your list. No, no, no. Sorry, that, that was, that was the list times. that I sort of like half threw together from what still existed of it. The full list at, at its like most comprehensive is like this awesome like top deck control mono green deck where like you're using Nissa to like clear the top card of your library and you're like you're playing like all the vizier the menageries that you can and so like you, you're just like playing the top card of your library continuously and then you kill people by animating your lands it's great <laughs> uh, and my favorite monocolor deck is Varchild Betrayer of Keldor. Because yeah, I don't know, I, tokens are cool. Like the fact that you have to jump through some hoops to enable it, uh, I find really interesting. Um, it's like kind of aggressive, kind of combo-y, and just I also enjoy playing like in more casual formats. I enjoy playing um, impulse draw effects, which is sort of what you have to do in red. I just find that that's like an interesting. Like, it presents an interesting challenge for how to navigate a game. You know, like, you exile something you want to cast, but it's, you know, kind of messes up your curve. It's like, oh, well, I lose access to this if I don't use it. And it's, like, a way of building in a challenge into gameplay that isn't, like, when you're playing against opponents who aren't necessarily taking things super seriously. Okay, so on to two-color. Uh, and my favorite two-color commander is... Well, you guys do this. Is one. it the Gitrog monster? <laughs> Sorry, Morgan. It was actually Momir Vig. It's Marin. Yes. No, uh, <laughs> it's always hash no, yeah, It's, it's Gitrog monster. Surprising no one. Yeah. <laughs> well, for my two color deck, and by the way, two colors, two color decks are really the peak of Commander in my mind. Agreed. Because it's like you get you get the value, but then you all, but you also have to be creative. So. Uh, mine is Wart, and it's a storm-based deck, and I love it so much because honestly, every single game you end with like 
30 or less cards in your library just strictly through tutoring and drawing and everyone else at the table is so happy that you're spending all your time <laughs> with literally you get all your basic lands in your deck into play consistently so you have watching you know, matt 30 lands play, play. War, uh, work against like casual players um it, like his deck it's like a mid-power deck so so it's not like he's like pub stomping or anything but i've when matt wins with wart i've never seen people like watch a storm deck go off and just like jerk off for you know twenty minutes straight and be so happy about it. <laughs> like here, here, you want you want you want like the real uh, like seal of approval. I've lost to that deck plenty of times. I considered putting it as my favorite two color deck. So did I. So did I. Cool. Not be to hear that. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, mine's probably easily callable as well. Not a hard one to guess. Is it hackball? <laughs> yeah, dude. Always oh, hackball. No, it's for all. Hundred percent blood. Yeah, and honestly, right. it doesn't even matter what version of the deck because casual is just as fun as competitive. <laughs> dude, exiling a, a death shadow. Oh yeah. Scavenging oh on. yeah. Oh baby. <laughs> That's my kind of shit. <laughs> uh, and my favorite two color deck is. Mizix of the Ismagnus. Mm. I just want yeah. it to work. It's Honestly, just, man. There's boo. so much fun stuff. <laughs> Mizix is sweet. Yeah, Mizix is a lot of fun. Yeah. That's a storm deck that gets absolutely zero love. I know, right? <laughs> uh, okay. It's the difference between two and three toughness. Honestly, like uh, very close yeah. for for three, four, and five color. I had a lot of difficulty here because I feel like everybody has like issues Matt, with three color. Two color is the spirit of EDH, man. <laughs> it really is. Change my but mind. But it's, I mean, in his pure sense, it absolutely isn't because <laughs> yeah, of Elder Three Dragons, color is but... literally the spirit of EDH. <laughs> uh, for, for three color, I'm just going to pick uh, Anafenza because that's one of the three color decks I own and I put in work to it. So, sure. Not happy about it, but yeah. Oh, Anafenza is sweet. Lindit's not uh, happy about his favorite deck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but <laughs> for my three color, uh, I'm. Uh, I think it's it's like a, there's a lot of I've played a lot of fun three color decks, but I think the one that does that was historically the most fun for me was my Tasker Secret Commander Get Wrong deck, and this is before like Jason Thassa's Oracle, and this is it's like a high power deck, so you're trying to clean up sculpt and. Uh, necromancy a lab man as your primary win condition <laughs> yeah that was i, I like know. that deck that was a spicy it, deck yeah and it didn't run too many counter spells but it certainly could compete on the stack it, it, it was a fun deck i think i gotta say riku scapeshift because yeah that sounds that sweet. deck is sweet <laughs> so it's it's not so you might you might be thinking, oh god, it's some random landfallless god. This this sounds terrible. Oh, you must you must be feeling like fucking Avenger of Zendikar and all that stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> this deck is trying to kill people with Valakut in EDH, <laughs> and it's fantastic. You get to play time honored classics like Tunneling Geopede, Okom Avenger Halakite. <laughs> Uh, realm right to turn all your lands into mountains. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great time. 
and my favorite my favorite three color deck as I brace for the rage is Marisil. <laughs> well <laughs> Wow, you didn't even I don't think there's I can't yeah. imagine you didn't pick Moltrotha. That's such a betrayal. Morgan enjoys uh, watching the torment on people's know. face far too much to <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I just I just Marisil is just like a masterpiece. And, and its category of making people suffer. <laughs> yeah. like it really is. No, but like, even like even like all the other close. brews of Marisil that I've like theory crafted, like the token brew and the reanimator brew. Like, there's just there's just so many like there's so many cards that it can do things with that like no other deck like does in any like remotely similar way. Amaranthine <laughs> wall is still the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that was a uh, great game of conquest. Someone was playing Zergo Helm Smasher and I just drew the Amaranthine wall. I was like, I'm just gonna play this and then I'll have a 0-6 indestructible blocker. <laughs> nice Zergo. <laughs> have fun. For four color, I'm gonna pick uh, a deck that I haven't finished brewing yet uh it's like an eggs deck that's built around silas and another partner although i haven't decided whether it's going to be bruce tarl or sadar kondo yet so that's my answer it's either <laughs> it's one of those pairs whatever i decide songs <laughs> red eggs interesting <laughs> i'm a fan you can do songs red eggs yeah no that's i'm uh, on board yeah for my four color i think this is one that you guys can easily guess as well, but Thras Brews has been the one competitive deck, I think, besides Teferi that I've stuck with for the longest, so kind of just a... It's like it's value to the point where there aren't win conditions, like, and that's kind of fun. Yeah. I feel like I haven't played it, I haven't played against it since, like, the Flash ban. I don't know where it is now, because... You know, I think it's I think it's better. I mean, it's got it's got Zerda, <laughs> but not because stuff. yeah, not because of yeah. Flash, but because of Kanan and Zerda. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. <laughs> and like I was already on uh, Nick's Blue Mansion, right? So it's it's all like redundant. <laughs> um, I got I think I gotta say pre. Well, I guess I don't have to say pre anything. Uh, just Shuffle Hulk. That deck Boo. had so many hours put into it, and I don't know. Yeah, it sucks that it sucks that you got you know your favorite deck taken away, but yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it sucks, but you know, it's got to end at some point, right? Like I, I like I don't I don't think I was ever expecting Flash to continue existing, um, even before Oracle. So had to go eventually, but man, that deck was fun to play. And it just like there was there, there was so many lines of play and like so much stuff that you could do with it. It was great. It will not be missed. <laughs> <laughs> no F's in chat. So many F's in chat. Everybody who is a Hulk player or former Hulk player, F's in chat. I want to see F's on every single release of this podcast. YouTube, <laughs> all of our podcast pages. People are going to think one of us is dead. <laughs> if, you can, yeah. if you can find a comment section on like Spotify, yeah, just put the F's right there. Um, uh, if you if you saw this one on Facebook, Reddit, yeah, F's in okay. chat. Morgan, <laughs> if you want to come to our Discord um, server, it'll be in the description. F's in chat, the Discord server. So I'll just I'll just mute and read out for this part. Um, my favorite four color deck uh, is Chrome Punch. 
<laughs> I, that deck, yeah, I, I, I just, cool, yeah. I love. Uh, first of all, I love the idea of like trying to actually have a commander that isn't useless in a food chain deck. And then I love like sort of the meme win condition <laughs> of Inkmont Nexus. Um, for, well, I mean, also just Crom, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so for those of you who aren't familiar, Crom Punch uh, was a Crom Rayhan food chain brew built by. So the idea was like. Uh, yeah. yeah, the idea was you could uh, like you you combo off with food chain. Hopefully, you have like one of the few outlets that the deck ran. Like you know, if you have like walking blister or something, then obviously you just win on the spot. But the floor is that you can cast Crom, who has flying and haste, uh, and then cast Rayhan a bunch of times and make your board infinitely large. Um, which includes like your cast from exile creature at the very least, and possibly dorks that you have lying around. Um, and then you get to kill like the most threatening person with an infinitely large crom and have an infinitely large board for the next turn. And I don't know, I just find that hilarious. <laughs> it is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh and for five color, I'm I just want to say that I generally do not like five color decks. Uh it's just I I we we've talked about the five color problem before in CDH. I also just hate it in in mid power EDH. Makes just so yeah. many like boring, uninspired brews. But yeah, okay. Now time to talk about my favorite commander in five color, which is the spawn of many boring, uninspired brews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a love hate relationship with it because I generate so many of these uninspired brews. Uh, and that's uh, Golos, and uh, I, I yeah. don't I don't build the uh, standard like I think this is all this is all for. Uh, Mid power, but I haven't done any of the uh, like Golos Narset builds where you just you know, it's like turbo turns and repeated activations of Golos. Uh, I've done every time I built with Golos, I've always made the stipulation that I can't activate his ability, and even then, he's still too much, and it's like it's just too good. But I, he just I can't I can't resist keeping going back to brew <laughs> more. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's Golos is my answer. Golos is Linden's rebound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't have... In fact, I don't even think I've ever actually built a five-color deck in paper, but my best five-color brew uh, that I'd be the most interested in building, except for the price of it being absurdly high, is... Uh, a Morophon Secret Commander Kethis deck. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds exactly like, you know, it sounds just as bad as it as its title. Uh, it's definitely low power, but it's fun to, to play test. Um, uh, I gotta say, okay, <laughs> it's a tie between the uh, rush to tie the game deck. <laughs> um, where you try to get oh uh, Twilight Sparkle whatever, divine intervention right? Oh no, okay. I thought you were talking about the the My Little Pony crossover card. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's my, the one that makes everyone win. Yeah, no, no, no. My my favorite is either the five color divine intervention deck <laughs> to try to turbo out divine intervention intervention and draw the game as quickly as possible, <laughs> and that's your win condition. Or there's the door. There's the door is a fantastic deck. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is one thing you can do in five color that you can't yep. do. <laughs> yeah. 
in any of their comments. I guess I guess we then also have to I have to give a meme shout out to the uh, the Turing machine. Deck. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, my favorite, um, I do have to give. Uh, I, I have to give some some respect. Here's where we really need some F's in the chat for my boy Niv Mizzet Reborn. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh god. But my yeah. uh, my favorite five color commander and one of the like one of the few five color commanders who I think is actually interesting is Ramos Dragon Engine. Yeah, I knew it. I <laughs> of course Ramos. you knew it. I've made no secret <laughs> of this. Dude, you could play food. I was chain. thinking the same too. You could you could play <laughs> food chain. Yeah. yeah. You can also, play I want to point out about the conflux uh, combo lines. Those are fun. I want to point out with my answer for Golos. Every time I built a Golos deck, it's also so I, I make it so I don't I can't activate the ability, and I do that because I I never played it as a true five color deck. So like like Matt, I don't think I've ever actually played like a a deck that actually utilizes all five colors because I was just color restricted myself into like Bant or something. Just, just yeah, why can't Wizards print fun. the the Golos ETB on a creature that isn't stupid? What? I had a general that, that Tosri was always brew. going to be stupid. I had a general Tosri brew that kind of died because J Tosri was the best food chain deck at the time, and I was like, I can't just purposely build bad Tosri, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at Into the North Pod via our email, Into the North Podcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and help us towards uh, improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a Patreon, we are patreon.com slash Into the North Podcast. Thank you as always to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music to nate slover for our equally lovely podcast logo and to our long-suffering podcast editor roadkill next episode will be out in two weeks until then see ya peace yeah. have a good one i almost always physically wave i know section. same same <laughs> I, dude, I hate Golos and like it at the same time. It's, it's common. <laughs> I haven't played Golos. No, so you, you like Golos. You're just ashamed to admit it. No, I don't like. Mind. I, I don't like seeing Golos. I don't like brewing with it because it's too easy. And yet every time you're lonely <laughs> and it's late at night. I have so many Golos brews.